What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Lindsey Druckerman is the global CFO at Oddity. In this conversation, we talk about unique token ideas, how they're incorporating this in the capital markets for their business, and what the strategic importance at the intersection of tokens and public markets will be for companies moving forward. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lindsay, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Copper. Since 2018, Copper has been at the forefront of institutional digital asset development. From award-winning custody solutions to creating the first truly off-exchange settlement function, Copper pioneers technology, products, and services in lockstep with a rapidly changing world. No other infrastructure provider covers as many assets across as many exchanges with the speed and security that Copper can offer. To learn how Copper helps the world's largest institutional investors secure their digital assets, head over to copper.co. Again, Copper, the unfair advantage. Check them out at copper.co today. Next up is Compass Mining. Compass Mining is the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. Their team makes it easy to start mining wherever you want, at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. Through the Compass Marketplace, retail miners can access mining hardware with similar prices and purchase plans as the world's largest mining companies. Compass miners own their machines, they choose whatever mining pool they want, and they mine directly to their own wallets. Miners who don't want to host their machines can order ASICs directly to their doorstep. Simple and low-cost hosting agreements coupled with best-in-class customer service are the reasons why Compass is the simplest and most popular way to mine Bitcoin. Start mining your own Bitcoin today by visiting compassmining.io. Again, compassmining.io. Go check them out and let me know what you think. This episode is brought to you by Bullish. Bullish is a powerful new digital asset exchange built for institutions that delivers the innovations of DeFi in a regulated environment. The Bullish Hybrid Order Book pairs the high performance of a traditional central limit order book with the automated market making. Powered by deep bullish liquidity pools backed by the multi-billion dollar bullish treasury. So you can trade with certainty and at scale across variable market conditions. You can learn more at bullish.com or follow Bullish on Twitter because the future belongs to the bullish. Now, this is not investment advice. Digital assets and cryptocurrencies are high risk products. Consult your professional advisor before dealing in them. Bullish services are available in select locations only and not to U.S. persons. Visit bullish.com slash legal for important information and risk warnings. Go check them out at bullish.com or follow at bullish on Twitter. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Lindsay, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Let's maybe first start just with this idea of the intersection of crypto and capital markets. One of the the key pieces to that is the second people hear capital markets, they think regulation. And so when we think of that regulation, uh, crypto historically has been uh, maybe not so regulated or the rules haven't been as clear. Talk us through kind of how you think about uh, from like the CFO seat, uh, the regulatory environment and kind of what is clear, what's not clear right now. 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a really important question, um, and I think the dynamic we've seen in crypto, most of the uh, investment and media attention has really been on a couple areas. Number one, your decentralized and semi-decentralized protocols and platforms. So that's kind of the spectrum of cryptocurrencies and DEXs and NFTs and DeFi. And then number two has been centralized infrastructure to support these decentralized protocols, right? So we can talk about a Coinbase there. And all of these are really important. But there is a massive opportunity to unlock efficiencies and value if we bring this incredible innovation that has been developed into the crypto land into regulated centralized assets to put them on less centralized rails, less centralized pipes that are also consistent and aligned with regulator objectives. And the crypto world has been this amazing and vibrant testing ground to prove out a lot of these new innovations that we can make use of in conventional markets to make things like stocks work so much better, much more efficient, better for investors, uh, better for the issuer. So like, let me give you an example of what this can look like. You start with an SEC registered stock, all right? And instead of that ownership being run simply kind of book entry, uh, now that stock is a digital smart line of code that can hold information and perform functions and be run through applications. So some of the use cases, like I'm a shareholder in Nike, uh, I no longer need to hold that Nike stock in a big bank or brokerage to custody it. I can custody it, I can put it in my MetaMask. Um, the stock's on the blockchain, so we have the benefit of transparency. Nike knows how long I've been a shareholder for. Maybe they pay me a 10X dividend um, to reward me for my loyalty. Maybe I get a streaming dividend instead of one time a quarter uh, to whoever happens to own the stock before the record date. I go to the Nike website to buy you know, my new, my new uh, LeBron shoes for my son or for me, whatever. Uh, and I get 15 off because I plug my wallet into the website. Um, or instead of getting Nike loyalty points, I earn Nike equity. And then this part's really interesting. I can then take that stock and I can trade it on whatever platform gives me the best price on commissions. I can take a margin loan on that stock at whatever regulator approved provider. I can, I can lend that stock out for someone to um, sell short. And instead of having to pay that money to my custodian, I get to bring in competition uh, and get the best opportunity. Something close to my heart, uh, after uh, an earnings release, right? Maybe I get access to the company's CFO through a token-gated um, Discord. And I think the additional benefit here is like the surface area of ownership and activity expands away from these concentrated custodians. And so things like the amount of asymmetric information that today benefits institutions because they're in the trading flow and it's through, you know, a small group of, of intermediaries that hurts individual investors, right? But when you expand that surface area, uh, that risk that goes down and also risks get distributed. So the network becomes more resilient, you start to diffuse some of these too big to fail challenges. All right. So I want to play a little bit of a game. I'm going to call it devil's advocate, which is I'm yeah. going to put on the hat of like all crypto's bullshit, right? Like, like that's the hat I'm going to put on for a second. And I want to kind of walk through a couple pieces of these and have you uh, kind of educate everyone on why is certain pieces of the technology superior to the current way things are done? So I think first is uh, when we think of uh, kind of the underlying technology. Today, stocks are electronic QCIPs. They're traded through these centralized entities. Uh, there's you know one to two day settlement times, et cetera. By moving it into this kind of digital security realm, the skeptic or the, the kind of devil's advocate would say, this is nonsense. Like, the stock already trades. It already settles. What's the problem? Why do we need to put it onto a blockchain? What, what would your answer to that be? 
Well, look, there's like no brainer. There's no, I'm going to talk about the no brainer stuff. And let me talk about the more sophisticated, like um, exponential power kind of stuff. So the no brainer stuff is efficiencies across the system, immediate settlement, right? Instead of T plus two or T plus three, uh, things like, so for example, in our offering, um, you can have something like KYC encoded on the blockchain, right? So if you've already gone through KYC, if you've already gone through accreditation, it can live in the blockchain somewhere. And every time you want to invest in something else, you don't have to go through it again and again. It's actually um, in the system, you're removing a lot of the slow moving manual intermediaries. But let's talk about like the network effects that happen when you combine different closed loop, eco loop economic systems that already exist. Okay, so for example, I'm a consumer company. Uh, for consumer companies, loyalty and reward companies or, or programs are one existing closed loop. Uh, creators and influencers, you might pay them in cash, you might pay them in product, you might pay them in um, uh, access to stuff. That's another closed loop. And then shareholders, that's th three different kind of closed loop economies for a consumer company. When you connect those together, you build like turbocharge the benefits of each of those individually, right? And so we talked about uh, if I plug my wallet into um, a website and they know who I am and that builds loyalty, the, the power that you have there. Um, connecting the creator to shareholders. So today, uh, equity compensation is totally normal in a company. Sometimes you'll have big influencers, heavy hitters get equity, like a Tom Brady with an Under Armour, for example. Um, but your micro influencers don't get that opportunity because it's not scalable. With um, security tokens, it's 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 totally scalable. We know that from Reddit and Robinhood today, the and crypto, the power that investments have in creating these communities. So you're unifying. Um, all these ecosystems to drive all of that in a really powerful way. So when you start to think then about a business like uh, Oddity, let's say, how, how big is this business? So the last raise that we did uh, was for one and a half billion dollars, which closed earlier this year. W one and a half billion? Yes. Okay. And when you start to think about that, are there numbers or metrics that you guys share publicly in terms of users or revenue or anything else for people to understand? Kind of like, where does that one and a half billion get you? Or, or like, wh what does it actually produce? I'll avoid any of the specifics on, on us for the purposes of this, but we're, let's suffice to say, we are the fastest growing, um, one of our brands, Il Maquillage, is one of the fastest growing beauty brands uh, in the country. We have a, um, a new brand, Spoiled Child, that launched, um, which is digital only. So our business is, um, is important. Okay. And and then in terms of the way that you would describe it, somebody, is it fair to say it's like a holding company for these various beauty brands or like or yeah. a conglomerate? We're or a platform. We're a tech-driven platform. Uh, we have standalone individual brands that are powered by our in-house technology, right? So we've got uh, in-house built AI, computer vision, data science, all of these power these individual brands. But our platform is 30 million plus users. There's a stat for you um, that we use. We take the data from all those users in order to drive um, our business through those technology products and also uh, amazing physical products, so amazing makeup, amazing wellness products as well. That combination has been very strong for us. Got it. And so when you think about this, um, I'm assuming that this is, uh, I'm going to use an example that I would understand. And, and I think the audience will understand as well. In some yeah. way, you, you almost take an approach of like a ghost kitchen, right? Where it's like, hey, we have a platform, we create these individual brands on the ghost kitchen world, they're virtual. So there, there is no physical components to it other than we have one kitchen, we pump out food, and we put it in different bags, and, and we deliver it. You all basically have kind of a, a centralized 
platform or, or offering here that's technology enabled and you're able to kind of power brand after brand after brand. And I'm assuming that then you get smarter about here's what this audience wants. We can cross market. We can kind of really get almost 100%. compounding or, uh, effects from the success that you've seen in past brands. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Okay. And I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, and then as you kind of look forward, um, obviously capital is a huge piece of this. So you mentioned that you guys raised $1.5 billion. Um, talk a little bit just about like how you think about kind of uh, making sure that the business always has enough capital, given that you're launching new brands, you've got to support the existing brands. Like what is kind of the, the capital strategy for a business like this? Yeah, so our, our last valuation was $1.5 We're profitable. Um, so we haven't needed to go back to the market to raise tons of primary capital because our business has been um, profitable. I think for us, this is really a function of um, building this bridge to connect this vibrant world of digital securities um, into this massive opportunity of conventional markets where there's so much inertia today because of regulation and because, I mean, look, you were talking about entrepreneurialism and how powerful that is for the individual. It's also important for corporations and companies to not just take the simplest path forward, um, but to try to bridge uh, and, and sort of chart new territory because the outcome of that in the event, we actually can be a company um, with a, with the digital security going forward. Like there's so many use cases for that that are really, really powerful and better uh, than the existing options. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, like, if it's helpful, I, I can, we can talk about a couple examples that I saw, you know, in my days as a, as a ECM banker, um, where I was at Goldman Sachs. So I led the IPOs for um, our consumer companies, consumer tech companies. Um, you know, first of all, like the, the cons- uh, most companies spend a ton of time caring who are my shareholders and trying to figure out how to incentivize long-term holders. And that's something you cannot do when you're waiting for, you know, a filing at the end of a quarter that's um, that's 45 days late. I once worked on a, a really exciting ESG IPO. Uh, the founder wanted to incentivize sustainability funds to be his shareholders. And we were trying to think about ways we could do it um, in conventional markets. You can't today. And it's not that regulators would be bothered by that innovation. It's just that paper stocks don't let you do that. But when you have the benefit of being able to have that dialogue um, through your to your investors, uh, then you can actually do things like create, you know, we talked about sort of this, um, this extra dividend for certain types of investors, think about the implications for governance, uh, right? Like instead of it being who has X stock at the end of a of a specific period, it's maybe how long have you held it for? Right. Um, so you're prorating governments. You can do things like we talked about streaming dividends. And so it gives you a lot more flexibility and visibility. You wouldn't have had that you know, kind of gotcha moment that Twitter had. You know, oops, you got a new 10 percent shareholder if you actually had visibility into who your investors were. And you currently don't have that um, today. But I also think for individual investors, like the fact that I can take a stock and I'm not stuck in my JPM account or I'm not stuck with my custodian, and have to take their commissions, their marginals, I can take it out anywhere um, and use the benefit of competition and innovation to get the best price and the most efficient execution is a game changer. And so when you start to think about uh, kind of the way that um, the digital securities are structured, can they replace everything in the capital markets? Like, can they replace equity? Can they replace debt? Can they replace converts? Can they replace kind of all these different components? Well, didn't you say, uh, you know, tokenization of everything, brother? I mean, that's, that's where we're going, right? Like we we're in a position where 
we should be massively opening our minds to how blockchain can have benefits. Like, listen, I love crypto. Um, I love the ideas of this, you know, un uncorruptible bank for 6 billion uh, people in Bitcoin, like, you know, Sailor talks about, like this stuff is really powerful. Um, that said, like we have a tremendous amount of benefit that can actually be applied towards markets that we know regulators are already comfortable with. And so whether it's stocks, whether it's bonds, you see some of the innovation happening, for example, at Apollo, uh, whether it's um, commodities, there's a lot of use cases that we're just scratching the surface on. And I think that it takes individual companies and banks um, and innovators within the financial system to push this forward in order for it to happen. Joe, John, what uh, what questions you guys got? Hey, Lindsay, my question would just be about uh, how this worked internally, right, when it comes to the security token. I'm assuming that this wasn't uh, consensus and there was some kind of, uh, whether it's uh, convincing people to do it or whatnot, but just talk me through kind of the challenges that you guys faced internally talking through this and what some of the problems might be. Yeah, well, look, I'm fortunate. I had a, a, an amazing career that I loved at Goldman Sachs, but I was really excited to move to a company with a singular mandate to disrupt and improve through technology and entrepreneurial vision. Uh, and so when we started talking about this idea initially internally, um, it was this kind of breakthrough of, wow, this is, is this bridge that we're building between crypto and conventional um, assets is like, is, is could be totally game-changing. Uh, and so let's go ahead and do this. I think the added benefit for us in this offering is that we get to democratize access to individual investors, right? So the, the structure of our security um, is a fixed discount convertible, very um, typical to what you might see in a late stage VC financing. Maybe, maybe you guys have had the chance to see some of those, but they're typically marketed only to a narrow group of institutional investors. Your everyday person, uh, your credit investor doesn't get the chance to get a look at those. We wanted an offering that would democratize that access broadly. Um, and so, you know, those two benefits together, we thought, you know, let's go ahead and run with it. And then it was a question of figuring it out, right? Because there's, in an, in an entrepreneurial journey, uh, there's a million places you can get stopped and stuck and it feels hard and you can turn back and why bother? Um, but we had a tremendous amount of motivation internally uh, and help from some great advisors to go ahead and make it happen. John, what do you got? Lindsay, what is like the public sentiment about these tokens, obviously, with what happened in 2017 and frankly, a bunch of them just being busts or uh, frauds. Like, what is the public sentiment now? Yeah, look, I think investors want to have transparency and visibility, right? Um, that they understand what they're putting their money to work in. Uh, and after that, you give them sufficient information, let them go ahead and make the investment, right? We don't need somebody babysitting uh, individuals to tell them how to put their money to work, especially when you've seen what's happened with the top market cap stocks uh, in the S&P 500 today, right? Like there's risk everywhere in the market. Um, I think that what we're talking about here, a security token that is done on Reg D and Reg S um, in accordance with, um, with regulator guidelines, uh, is checks the box in terms of, do I have the right information? Have the regulators said this is okay? And now that they've said it's okay, this is a breakthrough as far as I'm concerned in access to new and interesting risk opportunities for individual investors. And the more we have of those, uh, the better. So giving them the information, letting them make the decision themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Lindsay, describe a little bit this idea of kind of the fixed discount and how these deals normally come together. Like, what, how do they exactly do they work from a mechanism standpoint? Yeah. So um, fixed discount convertible means you're not setting valuation today. You're setting valuation someday in the future um, in the event that uh, an IPO happens. And so hypothetically, if you bought uh, $8,000 worth of token, you would get $10,000 worth of stock 
at the IPO price in your account, right? So that's your 20% discount off of the convertible from the stock price. Got it. And so historically in the stock market, people will do this as they know they're kind of coming up to IPOs. Uh, they'll go ahead and do all sorts of structures where they say, hey, we don't know if we're going to go out at, you know, 10 billion, 15 or 20 billion. But what we do know is that if you give us the capital today, we'll bake in some return for you. Uh, but it's going to be kind of anchored off of what that future price ends up being. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to be clear, we, we don't have any um, specific IPO IPO plans, like we've got nothing announced and there's no commitment here to IPO. Um, but the structure itself is something that is common in later stage uh, VC and you're you're getting this embedded discount to uh, compensate you, that return to compensate you for the illiquidity in the interim. But you're also saying, look, if an IPO happens, I believe the market sets the right price, right? You're trusting in the free market mechanism to appropriately price the stock um, and you're embedding a discount relative to that. Got it. Um, what, last thing I want to kind of talk about is, uh, you guys are on the forefront of this. You obviously took a ton of time, uh, went and underwrote, Hey, here's the benefits. Here's the, uh, risks that we're going to take. What were the risks that you guys identified as to, um, you know, kind of being one of the first or, uh, to, to pioneer some of this stuff? Like, what do you see as, uh, things that you've got to just mitigate to make sure that it, it ends up being a positive for the business? Yeah. I mean, look, we, took painstaking um, time to make sure that this is something the regulators would not just be okay with, but be, be, you know, we think they'll be happy about instead of all this pressure of, Hey, don't tell me this is a security or not a security. Let's talk about things that are securities and how we can innovate. Because I don't think anybody from a regulator regulatory standpoint, hasn't said this innovation in financial assets is really interesting. So let's bring some use cases that regulators can actually get comfortable with. And so that was the biggest um, you know, time for us was to make sure we got it right. You're, collect you're connecting new plumbing uh, that's never been connected before. Um, we have a great partner with Securitize, which is one of the only SEC registered transfer agents out there um, to help us do this. We were trying to figure out the right way to do. Um, more information on oddity.com slash token if you want to learn more about um, the offering. Awesome. Uh, are you having fun? Are you enjoying this? Like, I, I, I think that so like, fun. as somebody who comes from the background that you have, the experience that you have and sitting in kind of this global CFO seat, this is like the Super Bowl, right? It's like capital oh markets, regulation, uh, kind of the, the uh, business. It, it just feels like this is literally uh, what would be the most fun thing to work on. It's amazing. I mean, I, I um, you're right. It's like all the things that I... I've been obsessed with markets since I'm mean, almost 20 year career on wall street. And I, I love markets. Um, that's what drives me every single day. And I'm obsessed with the innovations in blockchain and crypto. I mean, it's like been years of just deep, deep in a rabbit hole and figuring out how you can actually link things, link these things together and do them and manifest is, a, is, is really exciting. Not to mention, like I work at an amazing place with brilliant people, super vibrant, um, everybody's hungry and trying to, you know, grow and disrupt and drive technology. And so it's, it's been incredible. I'm glad it shows through. <laughs> of course. Uh, and then I guess last thing is when you start to think about these technologies, uh, obviously at this intersection of capital markets makes a ton of sense. And, and, uh, you guys are pining there. Are there other things that you all have on the roadmap that you could do or, or are thinking about in terms of, uh, do you end up doing this for products? Do you end up doing it for other parts of the business? Like how, how are you thinking about like what's after, uh, kind of the capital markets, uh, intersection? Yeah, look, I, I hope that, um, I mean, what's after, like, you know, you think about kind of, you know, why we're doing this to begin with, we talked about why we wanted to democratize access. Um, we talked about how we believe this is the future. 
we're a technology powered company. Our mandate is to disrupt for the benefit of consumers. And that covers everything, including our capital and corporate financing engines. But like just as a CFO, right, every CFO needs to care about these key corporate finance asset classes, cash, commodities, currency rates and crypto. And so like, you know, there's tons for us to do from here as it relates to integrating the technology um, and the security structure and like the investor dynamic into our business going forward. I mean, this is really just the beginning of what we hope we can accomplish. That that makes sense. Uh, one of our sponsors is Eight Sleep, and as you're doing all of this, uh, I got to imagine that uh, it's stressful, and you're spending a lot of time on it. What's your sleep schedule? Do you have like a eight uh, hours, or oh, that that reaction tells me not uh, good. No, no, no. So, so I, I, you know, I, I had COVID earlier this year, and then I've like just put on about ten pounds since then. I didn't get the form of COVID where you stop eating. I was hoping for that, but I didn't get that, and so I literally just signed up for a new nutritionist. It was like your your sleep schedule is terrible. Like you got to try it again at least six and a half or seven hours. Eight, I'm like, I'm, eight, I, you know, six and a half. I don't even know how I'm going to get there. So yeah, you got to no, shoot high so that you, yeah, you got to shoot high for eight hours. The yeah. the the uh, the other thing that I always tell folks is that uh, uh, when it comes to sleep. Uh, one, you got to make a priority. All all the stuff that that most people know. But the second thing is, uh, it becomes addictive because all of a sudden you got more energy. And then when you get more energy, you get you're eight like, hours. Oh, Oh, it's, I'm like religious about it now. I used to not. I used I'm to impressed. get like five and a half, six. And then uh, I started to take it more seriously. And it just happened that the pandemic and me taking sleep more seriously simultaneously occurred in the same year. And so once I started to sleep eight, I was like, this game changer. So now eight I'm, hours with with no alcohol. It's I, I'm I'm even more impressed than I was before. It's no 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 brainer. It, it's a uh, it's a thing. I'm telling you, if you start doing it, it becomes addictive. Once it's addictive, then you you build good habits, not bad habits. All I right. feel I feel like uh, I should good have uh, I should have like mattresses to then hand people after the, my <laughs> little uh, soapbox speech. <laughs> awesome. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find more about Oddity uh, or or any of the brands? Yeah, um, oddity.com, oddity.com slash token. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. There's only one Lindsay Drucker man, as far as I know. You'll, fi- you've, you'll find LDM at oddity.com, lots of places. Awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. Thanks, guys. And uh, we're super excited to see how this plays out. Thanks, everybody. All right, bye. bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.